the whole philosophy comes down to there's a way that people used to eat that was good. It was healthy, it was natural, and it tasted good. Today, we have very few of those things in any one given product. You either have healthy and it tastes like cardboard, or you have it tastes good but it's junk food and it's artificial. So that's not the way that you know we do things. That's not the way reality is. That's not the way the world works. You don't have to have that trade-off uh, if you know what you're doing. And so ancient crunch refers to this idea that like, okay, we want our crunchy snack foods that are delicious and, and you know junk foody, quote unquote. But at the same time, they they refer back to like an older way of doing things with like real ingredients, uh, real processing methods, like no pesticides, no preservatives, no artificial additives. What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's guest is Steven Arena, founder of Masa Chips. He is a software engineer turned chip maker in an attempt to help make people healthier one seed oil-free chip at a time. The mission is to educate people on the dangers of seed oils and unhealthy foods by showing by example that whole foods are the gateway to a healthy life. I really enjoyed this conversation because Stephen did a great job of breaking down why the culprit of poor health isn't necessarily specific types of foods, but instead the different processes that foods go through that negatively impact our health. Also, Stephen puts his money where his mouth is by leading by example. His masa chips are both phenomenally tasting and are produced in a way that will leave you eating them guilt-free. So go grab your bag of masa chips and welcome Stephen Arena to the show. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again with another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. And I'm excited for today's conversation because one of my favorite things in the world, as well as one of my wife's favorite things in the world, are chips. And today I'm bringing on the founder of Masa Chips, really tan man, Steven Arena. He's created a product that I think is going to take the world by storm, especially for people like me who like to keep themselves healthy, but also create products and engage with products that are still tasty. So without further ado, how are you doing today, Steven? Doing great. Sun's out. It's been a, it's been a cloudy few months up in, uh, up in New Jersey, but it's, it's been beautiful lately. So doing great. Thank you. Heck yeah. Where are you tuning in from New Jersey? I'm from New Jersey. Oh, nice. I, uh, I live in summit. It's, uh, it's like 30 minutes from the city. <clears throat> oh yeah. And I know where it is. Too far, not too far from the Masa factory. So that's dope. I used to actually live a complete sidebar, but used to live in Hoboken. I went to Rutgers, so cool. familiar with that whole area um, and familiar with kind of like the gloom. What is it? May, uh, April and May kind of gloomy. And then we get some sun and stuff yeah. in June. So yeah, hopefully then it's beautiful. Then it's beautiful. Yeah, I really love that. So today I wanted to kick it off. Um, and when I got introduced to your product, my buddy Eric Hinman sent me a bunch. It's a phenomenal product and looking forward to having a lot more of it um, and just Congrats again. We were talking before we jumped on on in Erewhon. You're you're being recognized, and anybody out there that's listening, go try his product. But what actually intrigued me the, a little bit more uh, was when I started doing some research on you and saw that 
you're really into seed oils, and then also your handle is really tan, man. I'd love for you mm-hmm. to tell the story of how did you stumble upon that handle? Sure. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I, I've been into health for like eight, nine years at this point, and I didn't start anything on social media until about 2021. Um, I, there have been a bunch of like half-assed attempts to, to have an Instagram beforehand, but nothing ever really clicked. Uh, and it was just, it was in that summer of 2021, I was, mess, I was BSing with one of my friends, uh, who's also, uh, he's now pretty, doing pretty well on TikTok. And we were deciding like, okay, TikTok is ripping. We need to get out there. We need to get on the internet. We need to promote our things, um, you know, make a name for ourselves, so to speak. And he, I, I had spent basically the past year tanning in South Florida because I had lived there during COVID. And then I'd moved up to New York City. And then I was up on the rooftop of the apartment building every single day tanning, you know, no sunscreen, of course. And it just came to the, uh, he just had the idea, like, you're a tan man. And I was like, wait, that has a nice ring to it. Um, because I mean, so I'm Southern Italian, so I've always been very tan relative to your average Northern European. And, and it, it sort of just clicked because, you know, that, that's always been the way that I look. That's always, you know, people are like, you tan so well, you know, this is way before I even, I got into health. It's like, yeah, you tan so well. Um, and then I made it, a, I made it a bigger point cause I realized how important, you know, sunlight is like naturally on your skin. And so I tanned even more and then, you know, all of those things came together. And then that idea just like really clicked. I looked for the screen names, of course, normal tan man is not available cause that's like super generic. Uh, so really tan man was available on TikTok, was available on Instagram and Twitter. I was like, all right, this is, this is what we're going to do. Um, and then I started making videos on TikTok. I was mostly like on my roof tanning, talking to the camera. That little series didn't last very long. It didn't do so well, but I, I pivoted shortly thereafter. But that was the initial sort of content burst, and the name stuck, and here we are. You mentioned that you held back a little bit on social media prior to like jumping into it. Was there anything that was causing you to hold back? Because I think there's a lot of people out there that yeah. could do an idea just like you, but you seem to have like won 180 degrees. Like, What was holding you back in the first place? So I guess it was never... Um, how do I answer that? I think there's a lot of like half-hearted attempts, right? Like the name I think is very important. And so, you know, some people will say, okay, just pick a name and get started. Sure. But like names are also super, super important. And it's the kind of thing where like once the name shows up, like it materializes out of the ether, it's like the type of thing where like, you know that you're ready for it. You know what I'm saying? Like even with the business too, it's like you have a business idea, you don't know what to call it. Um, I think the the emergence of the name corresponds roughly with like the readiness of the person to go do it, um, and I, I think we we can get probably pretty philosophical. This like you know initiation rituals where people are given a new name or like Native American tribes where like you know you go through your your manhood ritual and now you have a new name. Um, there's there's something to names that signifies like a, a readiness for a certain role. Um, same thing with like, you know, Octavian becoming Augustus and then becoming a Roman emperor, right? Like he changed his name. There's like, there's like a thing to it. So in many ways, it's like when the name shows up, that's how you know that you're ready. Um, it's something that you sort of don't have full control over, honestly. It like kind of just has to happen. Um, and so, yeah, prior to that, like, I don't know, maybe I just didn't know enough or maybe I wasn't ready. Maybe I wasn't willing to commit to like posting with the consistency necessary to actually do something. Uh, and, and that first bit, that first two months, I, I made a TikTok every single day for 80 days and I got to 80,000 followers in 80 days. And like that amount of dedication, I previously at different points in my life, I don't, I don't think I would have been able to do. 
uh, I would have just like made a video or two and then got bored and moved on or done something else or whatever. Um, but I think it was at that time where I was like finally ready to commit myself to doing this. Um, prior, you know, I was like, I want to go out, hang out with friends, socialize, whatever. And I didn't take it very seriously. So I think that it kind of just emerged, honestly. And, you know, starting a business or starting a social media or starting anything, I think you have to be ready for it because you have to put a lot of other things aside uh, that many people might not be interested or even ready to put aside. And so once that happened, it was like, all right, pedal to the metal. We're, we're going for it. And then, you know, it, everything's just happened, you know, in a, in a waterfall since then. I agree with everything that you said. And for anybody listening out there, I don't want to stop you from starting because you don't have that name. Because one of the things that I found is in your case, it's you were probably doing things prior and then your buddy actually was the one that was like, yo, you should potentially iterate and use this kind of persona. And for me, yeah. it was the same thing. Like Thrive on Life before Thrive on Life was literally CM Fitness and I hated that name. Right, and my right. wife, yeah, and my wife was we we came back together and I was like I I don't want to just talk about fitness like there's so much more to me and I I want mm -hmm. to integrate more into my life and she's the one that actually came up with it so anybody that's out there like start doing now and then start talking to other people about what you're yeah. what you're doing yeah you have to be on the path to like toward that thing and then at some point it'll just happen you know when and when your, all the and, pieces fall together it, it'll it'll work to to the point you made about like philosophical uh, statures and, and people that have changed their name. I think when you know it's the right thing is when you believe in it so much that it consumes you when it mm -hmm. is like, it's almost more than who you are. It's literally your soul, your heart, and that you have to feel it. Um, and that's where any, any company that is, I would say is a, a century old, um, mm -hmm. the people that started that company, that's kind of like what it did for them. And I'd, this is a great segue into one of the questions I had lined up for you today. So I meant, I saw that, um, you had ancient, the, the ancient side of your naming and then underneath ancient that crunch. is yeah. Ancient crunch yeah, and then yeah. massa chips. So mm -hmm. run us through the differentiation of that, uh, more from the business lens. Cause I'm, I'm super nerdy when it comes to business. Sure. And like when I saw that, I was like, Oh, Massa Chips is, is there, but I'm sure uh, Really Tan Man has some other ideas out there, and it looks like you're li lining up to, to do that. Yeah, so, so Massa Chips, like, so let's talk about the name Massa Chips. Massa is a Spanish word for like tortilla dough, basically. When you prepare the corn in the right way, and then you know, you're about to make tortillas, that in Spanish traditionally is called Massa. Uh, so the name Massa Chips inherently means a corn chip. Um, you can't have a, a masa chip that's not made of corn. It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, masa chips is what we're doing. That's like the, the, the only product we have out right now. And it's, it's amazing. We're, we're working, you know, very hard to make that grow. But, you know, in the future, if we want to add new products, which tons of brands often do, uh, we, we are, you know, thinking ahead to like what we might call those things. And if they are not corn related, then we couldn't call them masa. So having mm -hmm. a company that's not just masa chips was important to us to allow that uh, that flexibility to be able to sort of add additional products or lines and not have any sort of weird name conflicts. And the ancient crunch thing in particular is like the whole the whole philosophy comes down to there's a way that people used to eat that was good. It was healthy, it was natural, and it tasted good. Today we have very few of those things in any one given product. You either have healthy and it tastes like cardboard or you have, it tastes good, but it's junk food and it's artificial. 
So that's not the way that you know we do things. That's not the way reality is. That's not the way the world works. You don't have to have that trade-off uh, if you know what you're doing. And so ancient crunch refers to this idea that like, okay, we want our crunchy snack foods that are delicious and, and you know junk foody, quote unquote. But at the same time, they they refer back to like an older way of doing things with like real ingredients, uh, real processing methods, like no pesticides, no preservatives, no artificial additives. Uh, for example, we just released uh, a lime flavored chip, and we had to make the lime flavor ourselves because any lime that you could buy is like filled with maltodextrin and comes from China and is like chemically, it tastes like chemicals. Um, but everyone, that's what everyone uses because that's what you go onto the wholesale websites and that's what you can buy. And so that's not the way that we do things where, you know, if we want to make a lime chip, we're going to, we're going to go get some limes, you know? Um, so, so that's sort of example of this whole philosophy where it's like, you know, we're doing things the old way, but we're doing it in a way that is like still just as appealing or more so than any of your, you know, favorite Doritos, Tostitos or whatever other junk foods that people are eating. I know that to get to a point that you're at now to even care as much as it sounds like you care and I know that you care there has to be some struggle and there has to be some pain that you've gone through to get to a point where it's like, okay, yeah. I'm going to take on this endeavor and not only am I going to make these chips, but I'm going to think about the future and what mm -hmm. else am I going to create that's going to help make a healthier, happier world. Run us through where that obsession started. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually funny. I was, so I, I was with Eric uh, this past weekend and my co-founder and he doesn't have the same sort of health issues that I've had throughout my life. And, you know, I'm just like saying things that like, oh, I feel this right now or my digestion feels like that or whatever. And he's like, how do you even notice that about yourself? Like, I'm just hungry or full. Like, that's all he notices. And and it's it's funny because it's like that's one example or like going into Ubers, like the smells really get to me. The artificial fragrances, like the hormone disrupting chemicals that, you know, are in the air fresheners and stuff. Uh, the smog, the smoke, the, the truck exhaust from the car in front of us. All these things I'm like very finely attuned to and they make me like intensely uncomfortable because I'm like sensitive to them. Whereas many people don't even notice them. They're not sensitive enough to even know that it's there, let alone that they should like feel uncomfortable or, you know, that, that it's actually harming their health in that moment. Um, so it was, it was funny to have that little conversation because my punchline for this is that, yeah, like the world is so screwed up from a health and nutritional perspective that my only salvation sort of is to like go and fix it so that it's like not that way. You know, that, that's where the obsession comes in. If I were, you know, the type of person who was always healthy or never had really serious health problems, like never felt bad when I ate junk food or whatever, I never would be here, right? Uh, but it's only because I know how screwed up the world is because I can feel it that I become obsessed with changing it um, because there's nowhere I can go, at least not in this country, where I'm surrounded by natural food and natural fragrances and no smog and no truck exhaust and no plastic chemicals and no fertile like even walking down the neighborhood like i smell the fertilizer that people are spraying on their lawns and it's like people i'm walking with my friends or whatever they, they don't smell anything and i'm like what do you mean you can't smell like the ammonium that's like in their grass like how can you not smell that um so for me the only the only way out so to speak is by like fixing it and the only way to really do that is to to make alternatives that are just as, if not more appealing than the status quo versions of things. And so this is one of the, the reasons I reject the whole health food concept is because health foods in popular parlance, like they taste bad, taste like cardboard. You got chia seeds and flax seeds and kale and 
cassava and it's like dude this is gross <laughs> like no wonder no wonder why people think health foods are weird and no wonder why 95% of people are like I'd rather enjoy my life than be healthy yeah because they don't want to eat cardboard so that's like the limiting factor here and the only way out of this is to like show everyone both through like you know example and knowledge but also like through the actual creation of physical products and like ways of doing things um, that the healthy version is the better version and and that's sort of the answer for me and I'm driven to it just because I find like the status quo of things just so unsettling on a personal level, just like from the from the health stuff, and maybe we can get into that. Um, but yeah, that's that's why I'm here, basically. <clears throat> yeah, from the personal health side, at what age did you realize that you might be a little bit more attuned to your surroundings than those around you? Well, so it was a it was always from when I was a kid, like. I never was able to do the same things that the other kids could do. Like I had allergies and congestion. That's a pretty obvious example. Like at little league practice, I would always be like running to go get a tissue and everyone else like seemed to be fine. Or whenever I go to sleepovers and we'd eat the, the Cheez-Its and the goldfish and the Oreos, like I would feel terrible and be going to the bathroom and like everyone else seems fine. Uh, but as a kid, I never really like read into that. I was just like, Oh, I'm different or I'm, you know, sensitive to these things. I can't eat these. Like, if I ever thought about it, it was like, oh, this is sort of unfair. Wah, poor me. Like, why can't I just be normal? But I never really started thinking about it until I was 19. And then I had to cook for myself for the first time because I was doing a sort of uh, an internship thing in, in Europe. And this is after my freshman year of college. And they don't have dining halls there. Uh, my mom wasn't there to cook for me, which, you know, because of all the health things, she'd always, like, cooked basically everything I'd ever eaten up until that point. Um, and so I had to cook for myself and having to do that made me, you know, getting that intimate with the food cause I'm making it myself got me thinking about like, okay, well what's actually in the food? How does it make me feel? Like I was able to have insight into the, the whole like life cycle of the food from buying the grocery to cooking it, to eating it, to evaluating how I felt afterward. I was able to have insight into that whole cycle for the first time. And that's when I started to notice patterns about, you know, eating certain things made me feel a certain way. And that, and then from there, that's like started my obsession with health. Cause I figured out like, Hey, if I, if I buy different groceries and cook different things, I'll feel better. And I was like, well, if I can feel better in one dimension, for example, stop being congested or my nose stop running. What about all the other ways where I feel bad, such as being sluggish or having, well, I never had that bad uh, skin problems, but like bloating, digestive problems, that was always a, a recurring trend. If I can fix one thing, why can't I fix all the things? And then uh, from there, I, as I started learning more, I started realizing, you know, the actual power of our material surroundings to like, you know, cause the way or change the way that we feel. And, and that's why it became an obsession. And, and, and over time, I developed more of like philosophy behind it. And I thought more deeply and, and learned more interesting things. But, uh, but yeah, I'd say it really started when I was, was when I was 19 cooking for myself for the first time. It kind of was similar for me when I was younger, having similar issues to you. I didn't realize how different I was until mm. I started like rooming with other people and realizing yeah, that like, yeah, like I'm going to the bathroom like five to 10 times a day. Oh shit. This is not normal. No. Or like <laughs> when I was taking tests and exams, I was like afraid that I was going to have to like go to the bath, like rush to the bathroom when yeah. I'm taking these exams. And I'm like, this is, this is something's fucked up here. Like I, I'm yeah. not, um, I am not the normal mm. case and I need to figure out why that is. But mm. to the point of the, the, the health food that you're talking about, quote unquote, if you're not watching this and you're listening to this, um, I, 
would go and like, it's like, okay, I was an athlete and I started looking into what would be healthier for me. And it was like, okay, salads or like grains and all these things that actually made my stomach way worse. So I, I'd love to hear kind of like your timeline of, okay, you started cooking for yourself, but I've listened to a couple pieces of your content and other podcasts you've been on. You mentioned uh, you tried different diets, uh, you've done different things. And I love talking to people that have kind of have a 360 degree view of what's out there. And most people don't, they get, they log on Instagram and they see one ad get hit for keto or they get hit with a carnivore ad or they get hit with vegan. And like, then they're so siloed in their thinking and, mm-hmm. and train of thought. I'd love to hear kind of more of the worldly view of what you've tried, what you've seen and what you've found that has worked for you. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Fortunately, I was never vegan, but, um, other, <laughs> other than that, I pretty much tried everything. Um, yeah, yeah. To, to your point about the college, like being in college, it's like these, these kids are out here like drinking a 40 rack of beer and like, yeah, they're drunk and then they like pass out and they wake up and they're just like, and they're fine. fine. They're fine. It like, was crazy what? to me. After, after going to like Popeye's at 2am, like how, you know, that, that was never me. So it's like, yeah, I, I agree the, the roommates in the college is like the first time that you really like get to see how you are compared to how everyone else is. And if you're different from how everyone else is, then, then it becomes very apparent. Um, so, so the food, yeah, I think the first thing I ever got into was paleo, which I, cause that was popular at the time. This was like 14. And for those that don't know what is paleo, paleo means, uh, at least it says it means eat like your ancestors, eat like a caveman. The premise being that humans evolved with a certain diet, as all animals did in a certain environment, and so we should eat that diet in order to be as consistent with our evolutionary process as possible. Like our bodies need what we evolved to eat by definition. Um, great philosophy. I still 100% think that that's correct, like from a, you know, a very theoretical standpoint. But the way the paleo diet specifically implements that has a number of shortcomings. Uh, notably, that evolution has occurred in the past 10,000 years, contrary to popular belief. <laughs> and also that evolution in the past 10,000 years occurred differently for different people. And then even, you know, even if you, you, you get that through to them, there's still this idea that like, I don't know, there's just like wrong things. Like eat coconut oil and like cashews. Like, dude, if you're, you know, a Northern European or any kind of European American immigrant or whatever, like you are literally the first person in your entire like hundred thousand year lineage that's ever seen a coconut. <laughs> like as if like, how is that paleo? <laughs> right. Or like cassava. There's no palm trees out in, in no. Europe. Like cassava, cassava <laughs> chips. Like, okay. Y- you as a, as a European, the first, like literally the first time anyone ever saw cassava in your lineage was maybe like 400 years ago. At the most recent. And for the most part, no one even ate them until like now we're, you know, pumping it and everything. Cassava flour. You know, and then you got paleo cookies and it's like, dude, how cavemen aren't eating cookies? Like, what are you talking about? Um, so there's a lot of things that are like kind of people miss the forest for the trees. Uh, they're like, oh, you like a caveman. Yeah, yeah, great. Almonds. So now almonds and coconuts have been around for a while. So let's just like turn them into flour and make cookies out of them with like xylitol. Like, dude, yes. The caveman xylitol. Okay. Anyway, enough shitting on paleo. Point is the philosophy is right, but the implementation <laughs> the implementation uh, leaves a lot to be desired. So I, I did that. That was my primary thing. Um, gluten-free, of course, is, is part of paleo. Uh, then I think I got really into fermented foods, kefir, kombucha, sauerkraut, pickles. 
when I when I went back to school, I was away for two years uh, after freshman year. When I went back to school, like my apartment was just like filled with like fermenting things. <laughs> like I had this five gallon. Jo- what was your favorite? What's the favorite thing to ferment? Uh, I liked. I think at the, I liked kefir the most. Uh, the kefir was really good. I also liked the sauerkraut. Uh, kombucha is a little. I don't know. It's a little bit much. Uh, I made pickles. All right. You know, not game changing or anything, but things that actually helped me, I think, were the kefir and the sauerkraut. So we did that. I was also like, I got into soaking things and sprouting things. So I was eating like soaked, sprouted quinoa at mason jars, like tilted at a 45 degree angle, like draining water out of my quinoa that was like the tails were starting to grow because it was like sprouted. It like looked like little alien sperm, you know, with the tails. Uh, so we did the sprouting thing, we did the soaking thing. I tried to, to sprout some legumes for like two weeks, and then I was like, "This is disgusting. I'm never eating a legume ever again." Like uh, lentils, uh, <laughs> um, they're gross. And you have? Do you have any content of this? Oh no, no. The, well, I, I may any have videos? some random pictures oh. on my phone. I may, from like years ago. Yeah, I mean, then we had the kombucha. I, I had like the main five gallon jug of kombucha with the little heated band around it, keeping it warm, and then the different bottles where I put flavors. I would go to the, the organic like health food store and get the you know the supernatural fruit juices and make my flavored kombuchas and that was like my whole thing like with girls like hey come let's have a kombucha cocktail in like my apartment um that was the thing <laughs> uh the kefir was a thing i had you know jars of fermenting dairy i it was it was a lot um so the fermenting thing fermenting foods was it was a big thing and that led me to doing the whole sourdough bread situation where because uh, like sourdough bread is fermented so i would i would be like coming home at like 1am on a Saturday and having to like knead dough before I went to bed. So it would be ready for me to like bake in the morning. Um, and of course in order to make sourdough bread, you have to get a grain mill. So I had like a literal grain mill on my countertop of my 300 square foot studio apartment with like Mason giant Mason jars full of like different strains of wheat berries, like on the shelf. And I would be like milling my grain and making bread. Um, so that was that was the thing, <laughs> and then at some point, uh, I some of my friends got into keto, so I got into keto too, and keto lasted about two weeks until it turned into a full blown full blown like carnivore diet, and so then I was a full blown carny for like six or nine months or something, and then that all ended when I went to Europe, and I was like, yeah, good luck getting around Italy, avoiding like anything that's not meat, <laughs> so that ended. And then I think that was the last sort of like extreme thing that I did. And, and since then, um, I think that's probably when my, my final form of food philosophy, well, that's, that's some alliteration right there. My final form of food philosophy developed uh, into what it is now, which is like just eat normal food. But like with the qualification that normal means not normal as in conventional today, <clears throat> but normal as in normal for someone like 100 years ago before all the chemicals showed up so it's not to say that meat's bad or good well meat is good it's not to say that meat's bad it's just like the quality of the meat is what matters because you know real meat doesn't have hormones and it's not fed with corn and soy uh dairy is good just real dairy and real dairy of course is unpasteurized and it comes from pasteurized cows uh, bread is good, but of course bread comes from organic ancient grain <clears throat> uh, flour that's fermented with sourdough. Uh, chips are good, you know, but the chips have to be organic corn, nixtamalized the way the Aztecs did it, like fried in you know an actually good fat like beef tallow. Uh, plants are good, Veg- like vegetables are good, fruits are good, sugar's good, just you know not 
processed like white sugar, but like honey and like maple syrup, raw honey, of course, and maple syrup. Um, so there's, so that's, that's, I think the final, the final point. And I think that's where, you know, there's, there's been all these diets that have, uh, you know, become popular and, and come and gone over the years. And I think where we settle on like the, the final form or the steady state diet, the one diet to rule them all is no diet at all. It's just, you eat real food. Um, and so you, you take the traditional recipes of whatever culture you have, you know, you know, add things here and there as, as you see fit, but it's all real food, nothing, no weird names, nothing that your parents never knew about and made without pesticides, made without, you know, crazy fertilizers grown in a natural regenerative fashion and prepared using whatever traditional methods make it like most digestible. And with that attitude, you can literally eat anything. You can have burgers and fries, milkshakes, ice cream, steak, steak and potatoes, salads even you can have you can you can do a little salad here and there um you have ice cream i think i already said that like whatever nuts desserts breads like literally literally anything all the good stuff at least and you can have it as long as it's made right with good ingredients and so ultimately from what i've seen everyone seems to be filtering into this like pool of like real food eaters and you know we're just going to keep seeing more and more of those people like who are doing crazy diets like get to that state at the end I have a I have a shirt that says real food is medicine and it's probably the shirt when I wear that shirt I get like if I wear it through the airport or I wear it anywhere that's the one that gets the most uh people commenting oh, yeah. what do they say? on that shirt cuz I think <clears throat> real real food is medicine No um, like what do they say I think, what do they say Oh yeah. no just like I want that shirt oh, I yeah, buy yeah, that nice. shirt yeah. I, I I think and it's just an anecdote I think of people are starting to wake up to what's happening in the mm-hmm. world um but that's only once that's like only one part of the problem because if i do wake up and then i'm like oh i want to eat a little bit quote unquote healthier but where do i start and then also the other flip of it is like i live in austin so it's fairly easy because on every corner there's somebody that that thinks like me and is into their health doing these for dinner yeah exactly (laughs) everyone's doing it what is your advice to somebody out there that might not have the access that, yeah. that I do? Because I know that's a large problem across the world. Where should they start if they're not well, yeah. in a city that has immediate access? So yeah, that's, that is the issue. And so that's why I have a food business. Because telling people about this was like what I started doing. But then pretty soon you just run up into the issue, which is like, hey, how do I how do I do this? How do I find the food that you're eating? Like, this is so hard. It's so inconvenient. The grocery store doesn't have anything, blah, blah. And it's, it's true. Um, so that's when I realized that like, and this is, you know, no offense to health influencing because it's obviously necessary for people to like know about this, but it's not the full story. Once people know about it, they have to actually go do it. And people aren't going to, you know, there's a certain barrier of, of inconvenience that people are just not going to overcome. And so it's very important in addition to spreading the awareness and knowledge that we also make it easy for people to actually do these things. Um, and that's where the products come in. That's where Moss Chips comes in. That's where Ancient Crunch comes in. Um, and that's, I, you know, that's where finding a farm comes in. That's where going to your farmer's market comes in. Um, that is very important, and it's not as hard as people think. But, it, you know, there are definitely some barriers. For example, like I was out there for years driving around to different farms, picking up raw milk from here, grass would be from there, my pasture raised eggs from there. 
And I was fortunate enough to live in Western New Jersey, which as shocking as it may be compared to Austin actually has like an abundance of amazing food. And what you, cause what you can't go, New Jersey is the garden state, right? We used to grow all the food for everyone who lived in New York and what you can't find in New Jersey, you, you can find from the Amish two hours West in Pennsylvania. And so like growing, like living where I was, I had access to all the best food. Uh, and I still do in, in Jersey, we get Amish farm deliveries, you know, every week or so. And they, they drive over here and they drop food off in the front door or a different Amish farm will drop food off at a neighbor's house, like 15 minutes away. You go, you go pick up the raw milk from the cooler in their driveway next to the garage. And like that works great. And honestly, it's even more convenient than a grocery store. The only difference is like, that's weird. No one knows about it. <laughs> um, if you know about it, it makes it very easy. And so I ended up compiling all of the farms that I knew of and then got other, you know, all the other farms that are in the country that I didn't know about. I, I crowdsourced this information into a website called Shire, which <clears throat> I, I threw together. It's free. Just, uh, it's just there to help people find farms and like local farmers markets and stuff. And I think there's over like 2000 farms now. It's got pretty good geographic coverage and in places where, you know, there's nothing in your immediate vicinity. There are often farms that will deliver to you or nearby to you. And so if you're looking at that place or if you're looking in the right places, it's relatively easy to get all this stuff. The challenge, the second challenge though, other than like finding it, um, is, is that you a have to cook because you know, you're getting raw milk and frozen meat. You have to do something to it. Um, and then the other challenge is that you, uh, yeah, you have, you have to cook. Actually, no, that's, that's the challenge. You have, you have to, Prepare it. And, and that's, and that's time that people don't necessarily have. <laughs> so, so that's where like ancient crunch comes in. Um, you know, over time as we, we grow our product portfolio, all of the packaged foods that like people know and love, but like make them feel like crap, but actually are really helpful. Cause it's like, you can just buy a bag of food and like eat it. And it's like, you know, it like, that's very convenient. All of that today is poisoning people uh, in the future. When, when we're said and done, it will do the opposite but it'll be just as convenient. So, so that's where that comes in. But yeah, I think the combination of farms and then finding the packaged or, you know, pre-made food, that's like good. Uh, that's what you can really do. That's all you can really do. Restaurants. That's going to take a while. Restaurants respond very slowly to customer trends. So as restaurateurs see more people eating a certain way, they're going to start catering to it, but that's, that's going to be the last, you know, straw to fall or whatever. Yeah. And I think, to, to the point of this conversation and what you're doing on social media and information, the information age, I think more people like yourself just talking about it almost validates other people caring enough mm -hmm. to drive the two hours to get food that actually is good for them. I think people look at you and I like we're crazy because we'll do that. But if our ancestors saw what we were eating today, they would be calling us crazy because the reality is they spent <laughs> their entire days yeah. cultivating, hunting yeah. and caring about yes. the food that they were providing for themselves. Yet today you're seen as like, okay, I'm going to sit on my laptop all day. And you're seen as like, okay, that guy's working really hard. Sure. But yeah. the reality is like, you're killing yourself to do that. So people like yourself, I just, I, I love conversations like this because we're giving people confidence that, Hey, if you're spending a lot of time on the foods that you are preparing for yourselves, cooking for yourselves and putting in your body and ingesting that that is the number one yeah. thing that you should be. Focused yeah, you're not on. weird. You're not crazy. 
like don't don't doubt yourself or like your friends are going to call you like make fun of you or whatever and and that's like a, a thing that a lot of people don't have like the confidence or stubbornness or arrogance whatever you want to call it to stand up to but the more people that they see on the internet doing it the more they feel justified i think it's a very good point um like 150 years ago 95 percent of people spent their full-time labor farming like procuring food for themselves that was that was what they did and then now we spend 5% of our time or less like, you know, on our food, and, like excluding the eating because, you know, eating time, everyone's got to do that. But in terms of like going, procuring, preparing, whatever, we spend like 5% of our time doing that. That's insane, right? Like we've come, well, if you think that's progress, then we've come so far. It's, you know, it, it's freed up so much time to do other things, which may or may not be worthwhile, but, you know, that's, that's a matter of opinion. But... The thing that really gets me, though, is that we we expect to have to only spend 5% of our time preparing and, like, finding and getting our food. But then we complain when it costs money. <laughs> and it's like, dude, you know, like, be grateful for what you have. If you were 150 years ago, like, you would spend your entire life making your food. You know, in terms of equivalence, let's say if the average, you know, income is $60,000 a year today, that's, like, what you get if you spend your full time on something. Well, back then, you know, that, that's the, that would be saying like food costs $60,000 a year because you're spending your full time on it. And no one spends 60K like a year in food, at least not anyone that I know of. Um, you don't need to, you know, that's not the thing. But so, so even spending like a little bit of money on food, people go crazy. And it's like, dude, like <laughs> you don't farm, <laughs> you don't hunt, like be happy <laughs> that you don't have to yeah, do they're... those things. <laughs> I've, I've said this before. They're only looking at the price of things. They're not looking at the cost of things. And that's why, again, conversations like this are so vital because you and I have had struggles that have caused us to like reflect mm -hmm. and then take action. What I'm battling against and for is people to wake up now because when you're 40, 50, and 60 yes. and you get cancer or you get diabetes or your mom gets cancer, your dad gets cancer... And you look in the mirror like, why me? Well, the reality is it's because they've been eating like shit yes. and not moving for 20 years. Yes. And it's just like, that's the person I'm like, yes, there's the, I would say the outliers like you and I, who un we were unfortunate, but fortunate. Yeah. Like I yeah. view myself as blessed to have had an issue that caused me to be who I am. But to your point of the, the roommates that come home and have Popeyes at two, like 2 a.m. and can, they can do that. Well, wow. because they're not, yeah, right, yeah, right now, they're not in tune with, oh shit, like 20 years from yes. now, this thing could happen to me. And that's what I really want to yeah. voice. And I, w I would love to, you've created a product which opens conversations. And I, I'm just very like into product and design and um, the why behind things and creating a why behind things. And, and chips is one of those things that whether you're a meat eater or a vegan or who, whatever you identify as, um, everybody seems to love chips yes. or have had chips in their lifetime had an impact. And the beauty of them is they're typically something you share. And for me, connecting and, and working together and having that community is super vital to not only my personal life, but the business side of things. And for Masa Chips, I'd love to understand why you picked a chip first mm -hmm. and then what the meaning is behind that. Cause I've heard a couple stories on, on some of your other clips, but I'd love for you to share that with the audience. Sure. 
So, I mean, I didn't set out to like go make a chip. <laughs> this was not this is not part of the plan. Once again, this is, goes back to the thing where like things just happen. Um, I was not trying to become a chip entrepreneur by age twenty eight. Um, even when I started social media chip stuff, I, I like I knew I wanted to start some business related to all the things that I did because like the the tech I, I was a software engineer before this and the, the whole tech entrepreneur thing like. A lot of my friends from college, like they have v, like VC backed startups, like they're they're in that whole world. Um, entrepreneurship is just like a thing, you know. That's that's what I want to do. I've started multiple businesses in the past. I'm sure I'll start more in the future. Um, but I didn't really plan to do chips. <laughs> what happened was I I was really tan man uh, for about six months at this point, and I was hanging out with my friends for New Year's in Miami. And, you know, seed oils were a big deal at that point. They still are a big deal. But it's like a, it's a, a very easy term to like, it's a very good catch-all for like a certain way of eating that otherwise mm-hmm. would be hard to define. So I, I was, you know, a seed oil avoiding really tan man in Miami with my friends after New Year's and someone ordered like Uber Eats tacos, uh, eating, you know, stuff in their face with the seed oil chips. And I'm just like shaking my head from across the room. Like, what are you doing to yourself? Um, and then that person was like, you know, have the retort, which everyone does, of like, what? They're delicious. Like, what about you? You know, you don't enjoy your food. You don't enjoy your life. I'd rather enjoy my life than be healthy and miserable like you. And it's like, no, 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 no. You are missing the point. Uh, being healthy is enjoyable. It's just that that food is cheap and disgusting. And real chips would be amazing. And I love chips. Corn chips were actually the last seed oil containing food that I like actively and willingly ate. Like it took me a few months after really getting into the seed oils to like finally give up corn chips because like they're just such a useful food. I mean they're salty, they're crunchy, they're crispy, and like they're convenient and you can eat them with so many things: cheese, meat, salsa, guacamole, whatever. Like that, especially as at the time I was a, a bachelor, having to like scrounge, scrounge around for my own food. That was super convenient for me. Like that's lunch right there. Um, and so I had to give them up because all the chips have seed oils. And so that was very unfortunate. Um, but yeah, so a few months later, we're sitting here. And then I'm like, no, 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 Those corn chips are gross. You could have good corn chips. Like, And I started describing how you could have good corn chips. You have to nixtamalize it, organic corn, glyphosate, the pesticides, fried in beef tallow, which I, I know about tallow frying because when I studied abroad, the aforementioned trip to Europe, it was in Belgium where they like fry their french fries in tallow. So I knew all about frying things in tallow. And then it was like, after describing this, it was like, there's sort of this light in my eyes. I was like, you know, the perfect chip. And then he was like, well, why don't you go make them? And then I was like, well, maybe I will. And then that's, that guy is my co-founder today. Um, so we left, we left that trip, did our little research, did some prototyping, you know, came up with our, our bag design and our artwork and our brand concept and the, the name and the stripes and all that stuff. And it all just sort of came together and then in July we uh we made and sold the first batch and that like did almost 10k in the first day. And then we were like, okay, this is this is real. We have business. Now we got to go like make this happen. And so that's what we've been doing ever since. Hell yeah. I love that yeah. story. I'm like obsessed with going from okay, we had this little problem to now I'm going to create a little bit of a solution and then test it. Yeah. When you when you went from, okay, I'm having, I'm at this party or get together to when you had somebody try your first chip, how long was that timeline? January like second, third was when the, the conversation idea happened. 
I made the first prototype in my parents' backyard in a turkey fryer on Easter in April. And then the first, the, the bag design, I think we got that probably in uh, May or something, finalized it. We printed them up, uh, got all the materials together, found a kitchen. We started making them in July. That was the first day that we sold. July 23rd or something. And, and yeah, so that, now we've been in business for, for, I don't know, almost a year, like nine months or something. Oh, yeah. So this July will be one year? Yes. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. When you. When you first, so let me backtrack. When you first start something, the things that you're thinking about, we mentioned earlier, like names, branding, social media, mm. was that at any time like overwhelming or did you kind of just have this foresight of like, I know where I'm going with this thing and we're going to just press the gas? It all, it all just happened. <laughs> like when we had the initial idea as a concept for chips, I don't think the whole Masa branding was apparent. Um, but aesthetically, it took a lot of inspiration from the Tan Man accounts themselves. So I'm sure you've seen my Instagram. Uh, I'm sure you've seen my Twitter. Like the imagery on that, it's like the, the tanning, Mediterranean, like aristocratic, like leisure thing. That whole thing. And so then I was like, well, we're going to make a tortilla chip. We came up with the idea in Miami. Tortilla chips are a summery, like sun food. Seed oils make you sunburn. This has no seed oil. So like if you want to have like enjoy your snacks in the summer, you know, you, you have to, you can't have seed oils. So it, it all just like fit. Right. Um, and so that was the concept that we went to our brand artist with. And then he was the one who turned that into like the stripe packaging that we all know and love. Um, the, the Mediterranean resort beach towel basically is what it looks like. And so when we saw that, we, you know, we were just like, all right, this is, that's it. You know, <laughs> there were a few this other concepts. Well, there were a few other concepts too. Like, I don't know, there's a bag with palm trees kind of all over the bag. And like, none of them, none of them came even close to this concept. It's just, it's just so good. Um, it just, you know, it, it encapsulates the whole vibe perfectly. And Very then simple. also it's like, it's a fashion accessory. Like you, you see all the pictures on the Masa page, like it looks good. Like <laughs> you have like beautiful women like on a beach with a masa bag and it's like additive. It's not like they're like, if, imagine if that were a Doritos package, it would just look gross. You know, um, it looks good. Like that's so cool. And that's super helpful. And that's one of the things that people like always say when they see it, Oh my God, this bag is so cute. Like that's the first reaction. And like on the shelves at air one, uh, I think that helps a lot. We started adding like a zero grams of seed oils on the front. So I think that call out is like helpful to people too. But just the, the bag alone is like so, it, it just looks so elegant and refined. It's like you want to be carrying that around in public, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, dude, you're hitting on so many, you're hitting in multiple ways, the, just the entrepreneurial way of thinking. It's like, you don't have to, you don't have to start from scratch. Like we're not recreating the wheel here. So you took a concept of a chip and then you asked yourself, okay, what do I do to make this chip not have to be, not make me feel guilty to be eating it. Okay, cool. Check that off. And then when you talk about the the packaging, you're talking about when most people, they want to hide the chips that they're eating. Like, yes. I don't want to be seen eating chips. But now you're flipping that script of like, no, I want to be seen eating these chips right. um, at the W Hotel in, in Miami and South yes. Beach, um, <laughs> like on the rooftop. So yes. you, you're hitting multiple angles of that. Don't just think like you have to solve a problem out of thin air like you're just yeah. recreating something in a, in a different way and 
in a different silo. And yeah, I love that. Yep. The two to, to maybe go a little bit further and systematize this, like two things affect chip consumers today. There's the guilt that they have. Guilt is like self-applied, right? Because they know that it's unhealthy and they know that it tastes good. And so they're guilty that their willpower is not strong enough to overcome their desire for a tasty snack. And then that's exacerbated when they look in the mirror and they see that they're bloated or getting fat or they have bad skin or whatever. And so they feel guilty that they want this delicious thing. Um, and there's the shame, number two, which is externally applied, which is when other people see them eating a bag of Doritos, it's like everyone knows that's unhealthy because of their own guilt from eating that product you know, in their own experience. Then the shame comes from other people, so people don't want to be seen eating Doritos or Tostitos or something. So uh, that's, that's snack world today, right? And then if you have healthy snacks, like health foods, now the shame is in a different direction. It's the opposite. It's the shame of like, oh, you're one of those health freaks, you know, who like is so weird that their willpower is like enables them to eat like cardboard food, even though it tastes bad. Like, who are you, you alien, right? <clears throat> so it's a different sort of shame. Um, and then like, it's not guilt anymore when you eat like the healthy chip. It's like just a lack of satisfaction. It's like misery, you know, eating cardboard, like that's miserable. So that's the two options if you're going to be a chip consumer <laughs> in 2023. And, you know, if we want, so we don't want to have a health food, right? Because we don't want the, the guilt, uh, sorry, we don't want the shame of being a weirdo eating health food. Um, we also don't want to be a junk food because we don't want the shame of being a junk food. And we're not obviously a junk food. So the only choice of branding that like can, you know, take you out of this dichotomy, like you rise up a plane into, into a different dimension is this sort of like refined, sophisticated, like luxury situation. Cause like no one has ever been shamed for consuming luxury things. Cause like everyone inherently desires that. Everyone them. wants it. Yeah. Everyone wants that. Like, you know, so, so that's, uh, that, that's why it makes sense basically. It's not like if, if I had Tostitos, I couldn't make this packaging. And if I had cardboard chips, I couldn't use this packaging. Like it all has to be consistent. Like the, the reason why a Coca-Cola ad with like a bunch of like thin, attractive teenagers like rollerblading around a skate park or something drinking Coca-Cola, the reason why that falls flat is because Coke makes you fat and it makes you junk, it's junk food and it makes you unhealthy. And the people in that commercial like don't drink Coca-Cola, otherwise they wouldn't look like that. <laughs> Um, so it's inconsistent and it falls flat. It doesn't work. It's hypocritical. It's shallow, it's superficial, and no one likes it. Materialistic people call it, but we can do that because if you're the person actually eating masa, well, and then, you know, assuming extrapolating that you're eating all your foods are a similar sort of thing, then you actually do look like that. You actually are a fun, loving, vibrant, healthy, mm -hmm. you know, youthful person. And so at every layer, all of the different things match from like the ingredients themselves to the way the thing looks. Um, and so, so that's why it, it works. And, and obviously we don't, it's not something that you can go and explain. We're not giving the lecture, but because it matches, it's like a sort of subconscious thing. People just get it. Uh, and so, and so, yeah, yeah I mean, it worked. we're basically in entrepreneur one one class for anybody out there that's listening and you want to start something like, uh, Steven here is like hitting the nail on the head of kind of how you want to think about uh, who, I mean, it's really just like who your end customer is and what are they feeling? And you mentioned like that shame and mm -hmm. like I, my wife and I have felt that for, for decades now because we've been super into our health because we've had no choice and it's been weird to have to almost like convince people that right. this is a worth wild fight for me to to go down and it's and like you're not oh, going this is to. my this is my life like if this you is roll my into the party with, talking about 
Yeah, if you roll into the party with the cardboard chips, like no one's gonna like you. But if you roll into no the party what. with masa, everyone's like, yeah. "Wow, thanks, this is amazing." You know? <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I I love that. Um, but I know that it's not as simple as like you went from creation to okay. I I wasn't was in my parents' house and got these chips going up, and then by July we're just crushing it. There's gonna be some road bumps along the way. Is there anything that comes to mind that was just like, oh, like? a little bit tricky or I don't know if we're going to get past this, uh, in the first year or so production is hard, smooth sailing. No, no, it's not been smooth sailing at all. Like it's, it's very difficult. Um, there's a reason why all the foods have seed oils. I'll say that. Um, first is just like supply chain. Like you can just call up the seed oil company and like, you'll get a tanker, you get a fleet of tanker trucks dropping off hundreds of thousands of gallons of seed oils like next week, if you wanted to, you know, you can make infinite chips with seed oils. Not hard. Seed oils are easy to procure. Uh, the other issue is the factories. All of the factories that make chips, or make snacks in general, like no one makes their own food. Uh, it's very, very uncommon for companies to, to have like that sort of vertical integration. Um, so all of the food is made from, in like, from all the brands is made in like a handful of factories. There's not, you know, it's not like there's two of them, but there's a lot fewer factories than there are brands. I'll say that. And so those guys pump out chips and other snacks by the millions of pounds, like tens of millions of pounds a year. It's insane, like the scale that they're at. Um, and because their equipment is so optimized to that process, it's so efficient and it's like so capable of like pumping things out. They run it like three shifts a day. It's like never stopping. Like it's just going. Any interruption in that standard process causes them headache that they don't want to deal with. So if you have something different, that's like quality, they might not be interested in making it. Um, not simply because it's quality, but also because it's different. So they, they don't want to change their, their, their stuff around or like, you know, have downtime on the line, like God forbid. So all of the factories that make food don't want to make monster chips. Um, and so that's the other production barrier too. And that's like, you know, that, that's going to be an issue. Like, that's an issue to overcome uh, for a while. Um, it's not insurmountable, but it's not, you know, happy selling, right? Like, that's the thing. If this were so easy, like, we, there would be no business. That's what everyone always says, but it's true. Um, so, yeah, and then I think on the, on the marketing side, uh, the, the primary difficulty is that, like, it's expensive, obviously. And how do you, you know, com- justify, communicate, or, like, promote? your product when, when it's like just so much more expensive than what people are used to paying for like a seemingly similar thing. I mean, you get it. I get it. Like I, I don't care if Doritos were free. I don't care if they paid me. I wouldn't eat them. Like one bag of Moss chips is greater than the entire Doritos North America warehouse as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> you know? Um, but that's not necessarily the mindset of everyone. And you can't blame people, right? Cause like, people aren't rolling in money, right? That's, that's certainly the case. That's certainly not the case. Um, so that's another, you know, another challenge is like when you're, when you're competing and it's not just on cheap ingredients. It's like, I was talking about this on, uh, Brett and Harry's podcast a bit. Um, the, the meat mafia guys, when, when you're a big, when you're free to lay, there's so many tricks you have up your sleeve to keep your costs lower that like, even if I were trying to make a seed oil chip, like if I were trying to make seed oil lays and just sell them, there's just no way that I could like even come close to competing on, competing on price. 
Um, so, so yeah, that's, I mean, the, I think the market positioning, the bag design, all the, the whole vibe thing, I, I think that helps. Um, but it's, it definitely appeals to like a, a certain level of customer. So that, that's, I think the other, uh, I would say not issue, but that's just like, you know, the challenge, one of the challenges. I mean, it, it is, it's like, it, I, th- something that I've talked to with other health food founders, uh, before is how do we create, how do we collectively get a company that's health conscious, that's big enough to take on the Coca-Colas of the world. Cause mm-hmm. what ends up happening is you have these non-health focused companies buy up the health conscious companies and then they start degrading what they've built. And it's not the founder's fault. Cause like you put, you pour your sweat, blood and tears into this for a decade. And you're almost like, I don't have a choice, but to like take some money and like, yeah. maybe recreate my another idea and like help the world in in another capacity. Uh, you've earned that, but it's how do we collectively get a company that's big enough that can take on Goliath where mm-hmm. we're not cutting corners. And you basically, you essentially like we recreate the world. Like I'm a systems engineer by trade. So you worked at Meta. Like I went to school for systems industrial engineering. And I mean, this isn't just a food problem. This is an education problem. This is an infrastructure problem. Like, why don't we have trains here in Texas to get me from Houston to Austin to Dallas? Like, there's so many problems that we have that's just system-oriented. And one of them is the health. Like, the systems aren't there to do what you are doing. So most people just don't do it. But if you wanted to cut corners... The system's already in place. People want to work with you. It's all automated already. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the water always flows downhill. So that that until we switch that a little bit and make it more enticing, um, that's, what, again, yeah. another reason I love conversations like this because people like you who are kind of like taking on Goliath, most people just see it as a chip or an overpriced chip. But the reality is like the bigger that you get, the more of a chunk we're taking from mm-hmm. those other companies. And the the more hope we have to actually change the way, the trajectory of our world, where in our world it's 40% obese, diabetes is going up, cancer is going up, heart attacks are going up, and nobody seems to, the average person doesn't seem to give a shit about it, but it's a big problem. Yeah, yeah, very interesting stuff. I think, okay, two points I want to make. One is that there, I think there are cases, as far as I know, where big companies bought, good quality companies and like didn't screw it up. Uh, Epic seems to be one example. Mm-hmm. Um, Primal Kitchen. We actually, I filmed with uh, the Meat Mafia guys in Epic on their ranch. It was so awesome. Nice. Oh, that's cool. To to see that. Yeah. 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 So there are a few. They seem to be I one. I guess it's a timing Primal thing. Primal Kitchen seems to be another. I mean, if the big company was smart, they wouldn't mess with it because the reason why they're buying a valuable asset such as you know, Epic, for example, is because it uses the quality that it does. And if they denature that, then they take their valuable asset that customers want to give money to, and then they basically just light it on fire. <laughs> so I think they paid what they, yep. they paid like $100 million for Epic. If they start putting conventional corn-fed, whatever the heck, and people find out about it, which will happen eventually, they just took their $100 million and lit it on fire. Granted, like maybe they don't care about $100 million. I don't know, you know. Problem. It's it's it is still a drop in the bucket for them, but the point is, if they're rationally self interested, as the economists would like to claim they would be, uh, then it wouldn't really make sense for them to to screw it up. And there's a lot of efficiencies that a big company can add to a food business 
that don't involve anything to do with quality. Um, for example, on shelf at the retailer in the, in the snack section, stand, retail standard is like 20, 40%. They take 40% uh, margin. So if you buy, let's say you buy $10 worth of Doritos, um, the grocery store gets $4 out of those $10. Um, but if you, uh, but it, so sorry, I lost my train of thought. So yeah, they get four dollars out of those ten dollars. But if you're free to lay, what you do because you're you're so big, you say hey, for forty percent, that's too much to you, grocery store. Like you're not getting that. Give us twenty. You only take twenty percent, and that's what they do. So if you go and spend ten dollars in Doritos, it's actually two dollars to the grocery store and eight dollars to free to lay. Um. So even if I like, but then if it's you, you have forty like, percent. Yeah, so and if it's me, like if, you, if it's me, retailer takes forty percent. So even if I have the same cost to the retailer, Doritos will still be cheaper on shelf than me. Is <laughs> what it is. So that's the type of thing, and like cu- customers don't care. Customers just want to pay as little money as possible. So if that's something like twenty percent is a big number. So if that's something that Frito Lay can get customers, they'll prefer that. And if that's something they can do without sacrifice, like even if they don't change the recipe at all right away, um, like let's say Moss is in you know five thousand grocery stores, if Free Delay were to come in and run that operation instantly, twenty percent price reduction, you know, and that's something that customers yeah. would enjoy. So that doesn't change the quality, and like it's that type of thing, the way the system is, and like how you know economies of scale, as we all we all know, it's that type of thing that enables them to do what they do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of advantages to operating at a big level, um, but there's also, you know, the disadvantages. You get the economists coming in there and the consultants, like all the kids I went to college with, <laughs> who are like, the only variable they ever know how to measure is cost. Nothing else matters because you can't quantify anything else. And so lower cost is best. And they go in there and they get everyone to optimize for cost. And that's, that's how you get these quality cutting, you know, operations. Yeah, it's, there's, there's, thank you for wrapping with that. There's just so much that goes into it. And I wanted to make the point to clarify a little bit. Uh, I'm hopeful that we have a company like yours, like get to the point where you can buy others because the main focus would then just be health for whatever the subsidiaries are. So even if I didn't want to say that there aren't good uh, things happening where companies are buying health conscious companies and then helping them succeed. It was more so that's not their main priority. No, or their no, no, main no. Focus. I'm yeah. Their their priority. I'm looking forward to the day. Their priority is to make money, and so it's very easy to blame big companies. And I, and I don't want to sound like a big company apologist, but like the blame's got to go where the blame's got to go. It's not as if they force you at gunpoint to buy Doritos, <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. It's not as if they're getting government subsidies or like there's some corruption going on where like they're just getting your taxpayer dollars to like run this company. Like you are willingly handing them your money yep. and like that's how they have money. <laughs> there's no yep. world where like the only reason they're big and powerful and have efficiencies and economies of scale is because you made them that way, you know? So obviously you and I are not contributing to this. Um but the people in general, uh, and I believe there's quite a few who you know rail against these institutions, um, they have to understand that like if you're giving those institutions money <laughs> and you're complaining about them, you're a hypocrite. The only person to look at 
is is you in that instance. And if you you know have ex, exp, uh, expunged them from your life and you only spend your money with like good brands and whatnot, then the next step is to get all your friends and get all your family to do the same, and then get them to do the same thing. So so until like until these companies no longer are able to make money selling garbage, um, they won't stop. And so once that happens, though, they'll, they'll be just as happy to sell people like organic whatever as they are to sell them seed oil whatever. You know, They don't care. They literally do not care. Such a great um, point. They only care to sell what makes money. So yeah, if America woke up tomorrow and was like, nope, Frito-Lay, sorry, I'm not buying your seed oils and pesticides, go to hell. Then Frito Lay would would innovate real quick, or they would you know find find brands to acquire that would have done the innovation for them. So, so yeah, I mean, people got to really look in the mirror. Great point. Thank you for thank you for that. Uh, we're getting close to wrapping up here. Sure. I have two more questions that are kind of like um, one's a quick one, and then a, a wrap up question. Um, you put a lot of ideas out there not only with your product, but with your own personal brand, what seems to get the most pushback? Oh, like what do people, what's most controversial? Yeah. Yeah. Like what, like whether it's the chips or the price of the chips or you talking about suntan lotion or seeds, what yeah. just is more of like, I, I was yeah. curious, like what seems to get the most Yeah. Pushback? I mean, people complain about the price of masa. That's, that's a thing for sure. Um, which is, I mean, I get it, but like, you know, is what it is. If you you want them to exist, you don't like free delay. Well, this is what we have to do. Like as we as yeah, we grow, yeah, it'll get cheaper. But you know, that's we're we're not. We don't sell Lay's. The brand Lay's ten billion dollars a year, billion with a B. Like, you have any idea? Like like the companies that get acquired, like Epic when it was acquired for a hundred million for General Mills, twenty million dollars a year. <laughs> like. Lays is 500 times bigger <laughs> than that yep. it was when it was acquired. Year over year. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, so is, you know, it is what it is. It, the price will come down over time. Uh, but if you, if you enjoy the fact that, that foods that do not try to poison you exist, then, you know, you know where to spend your money. Um, I think from the health philosophy standpoint, the things that get pushed back. Oh, yeah. The biggest thing that gets pushed back, um, even from the people that are already like, my fans, so to speak, uh, is the the omega three. Omega threes are bad. Flax seeds, fish oil are bad. Mm. Um, that gets the most pushback, even from the other health people that are my audience. Um, every once in a while, I'll have a tweet that like escapes my echo chamber and like you know is seen by the normies, and and they they push back on a lot of stuff. For example, <laughs> uh, a common one is whenever I talk about how people used to not be fat like in the 1950s or the 70s when like everyone was like out on the beach and like, you know, LA and like everyone's beautiful and like very thin. Um, and I say like people didn't used to diet back then. Like people were just healthy cause the food didn't poison them. You have people like freaking out about how like everyone was on amphetamines or some ridiculous, like absolutely ridiculous retort. Um, like in the 1950s. Oh yeah. Cause everyone smoked and was was uh was on amphetamines that's why people were fit in the 1950s not not because the food wasn't poisonous um and you could get it curbside curbside delivered at yeah any yeah uber eats seed oils has nothing to, doesn't have anything to do with it okay um so that's a big that gets a lot of pushback and then i think they also go on about like the the tanning without sunscreen yeah like the the mainstream 
like skincare girls on TikTok who are like, you can't even like turn on the light in your living room without putting on sunscreen. Like those people, um, they they freak out. It's so the that was another thing that was intriguing to me because I've, I've moved from Jersey to Texas. I've been in Texas for over seven years now and my skin changed. I used to have to, used to have to use suntan lotion to not burn. And like now, like I literally can go outside because I'm in Austin. It's sunny 300 plus days of the year. I rarely, if ever, ever put anything on my skin and I'm fine. Um, and it like adapted to, but to your point, I've read some of your stuff. It's just like, you don't go from like, my pale ass to then sitting in yeah. Texas sun for eight hours a day. In, like, that's in not, particular, that's you don't go from your, your pale ass <laughs> eating seed oils to being sun resistant yeah. in like a day for sure. The seed oil, the seed yeah. oil sunburn there's, thing is there's for levels sure to real. it. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. There, everything is interconnected. Um, especially like I'm really obsessed with understanding the liver and how mm-hmm. we detox and like the things that don't detox, such as like seed oils, how long they stay in your body and what, what does that inhibit in your body, which could potentially be yeah. your skin and everything else. So I love that. Um, last wrap up question before we, we tune off here, um, and then get your contact is we're 10 years away from now. What do you hope for yourself and, and for Masa? Like, what does that look like? What is sure. that? Trajectory ten, oh, 10 like? years. That's a long time. Wow. Um, 10 years from now, we have 50,000 acres of regenerative ranching to supply our tallow for a whole line of snacks that basically replace the center aisle of a grocery store with like versions that are even more delicious, uh, of, you know, everyone's classic American junk food. Um, but it's all, it's all just like the dials are turned all the way up. If it's, if it's a wheat product, it's, it's sourdough and, you know, fermented and blah, blah, blah. If it's, uh, if it's a fried thing, it's fried in tallow or some high quality animal fat. Um, if it's, if it's a sweet thing, it's got, you know, maple syrup, honey, you get the picture. Um, and then, you know, vertically integrated, like got our own ranches, got our own farms, our own, our own factories, like regionally, you know, throughout, you know, probably one in Texas, uh, one in the Northeast somewhere. Um, so yeah, I mean, 10 years is a long time in, in this industry. So, I'd see, yeah, like the top 50% of grocery stores in terms of like quality, almost everything in the center aisle is, is an ancient crunch thing. So yeah, that's the optimistic version of 10 years out. Hell yeah. Now time to, now time to make it happen. Yeah. I asked that question cause then, uh, 10 years from now I can look back and send nice. it to you. Um, <laughs> Perfect. but la- last thing, if, if people loved what they heard from you here today, uh, what's the best way for them to get in contact? Uh, with really you? tan man, Instagram and Twitter. My DMs are open. Uh, mosschips.com. Check them out. Yeah. I don't know. We should probably hook you up with a, a discount code that you can shill at the, you know, in the, in the post. Yeah. yeah. We'll just, uh, the show notes. I'll, I'll, I'll mention that I do thrive on life for okay. everything. So the code thrive on life. So nice. when we get to that, <laughs> we'll do that. And then the last question we ask everybody is, if you were to define the word thriving, what does that mean to you? Um, I actually have a a good answer for this. Um, so it's like every organism has a certain like potential, like based on its DNA. Um, like theoretically it could achieve X, like that's your potential. You know, humans can run a six minute mile. Maybe you can't, but humans can in general. Um, so thriving is like, actualizing as much of your potential as possible. 
amazing response. Actualizing as much as your potential as possible. I need to put that nice. on a shirt or something. Um, <laughs> appreciate you coming on here today, Stephen. At the, at the end, I always wrap with my biggest take. When you send it, set it here closer to the end uh, when you were talking about how we vote mm. with our dollar and our actions. And I think that's such an underestimated principle, especially in today's world where we're kind of going yeah. to the opposite end of that. And I, I'd love for people to just reflect on that. Every action that you're taking in your life, is it a positive action or is it a negative one? And then if you believe it's a positive one, so like you were mentioning, like if I'm going to buy the more expensive chips or the more expensive thing, because I believe it's going to be better for me, like how do you get other people on mm-hmm. that team? And we start creating a better yeah. world and recreating our world. Because if we all get on board that ship, the price of the the price of our reality, the better reality, actually starts oh, to be reduced. The more, the more people that buy moss, the cheaper it's going to get. I'll say that right here for the record. Yeah, um, and that's not true for yeah. just us. It's true for so everyone it's, who has a similar sort of business. Yeah, exactly. And it takes us actually caring about that and getting to the point where the masses are taking action. So I really love that point. And it's just, again, something I want to I want to hit home. If you love this conversation here today, the best thing you can do is share Stephen's story with somebody else that you believe that can help and then give us that five star rating review. But until next time, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive On Life podcast. Thrive on y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive on Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.